Welcome to the Untold Tales Audio Anthologies. Written by Dr. Jeffrey A. Robinson and narrated by Melissa Del Toro Schaffner. Hi, everyone. This is Melissa Del Toro Schaffner, your narrator. This episode's going to be a little bit different because we're talking about flash fiction. I'm going to tell you a little bit about what flash fiction is, and then I'm going to read to you five stories that qualify as flash fiction. Writing short stories is a challenge. It is harder to write a very short story than a long one because every word becomes important. Perhaps the best example of this is the six-word story. Legend has it that Ernest Hemingway won a bet by writing the six-word story. He wrote, For sale. Baby shoes. Never worn. It's amazing how few words can generate such emotive force. This example became so famous that Hemingway wrote more six-word stories, and over the years, numerous competitions have been held to challenge other writers to write similar, ultra-short stories. Most of the authors who have presented their material for Untold Tales broadcasts have also experimented in this strange style of fiction. Here are some examples. Don Muchao, for instance, wrote, Jesus' spaceship arrives, takes pets, leaves. Jeff Robinson offered this science fiction example. And then the air ran out. Finally, here's an even stranger one. There's no punctuation in this sentence. Alien vegan eats, shoots, and leaves. In any case, short fiction like this has become known as flash fiction and has become a special subgenre of science fiction in its own right, but it does not receive nearly enough attention. While novels are works that are larger than 40,000 words, and novellas range from 17 to 40,000 words, the short stories offered by Untold Tales are typically 3,000 to 7,500 words in length, and are intended to be consumed by listeners in a single sitting. However, flash fiction is shorter still. Also known as sudden fiction, short short stories, microfiction, or micro-stories, Flash fiction is typically under 1,000 words long. Writers often generate such works as exercises that challenge themselves to create stories, with such extremely small word limits, since the essence of a good short story often lies in making the tale very short and concise. The following five stories are offered to you as examples of flash fiction. The first three, however, are all exactly 100 words in length. Such a work is known as a drabble and is a short work of fiction of precisely 100 words in length. The purpose of the drabble is brevity, testing the author's ability to express interesting and meaningful ideas in a confined space. The 100-word format was established by the Birmingham University Science Fiction Society and is often used to challenge writers in other genres as well. The last two short stories are barely 600 words in length and are more typical of flash fiction stories. We hope you enjoy these examples of flash fiction and appreciate the challenge of creating a good science fiction story with such an economy of words. Flashback by Dr. Jeffrey A. Robinson 100 Words There was a flash of light. Damn, said the scientist. Didn't work. Looking at the fully charged capacitors, he checked the connections to his newly completed temporal translocator, the first working time machine. 
This first test was supposed to have sent him back exactly one minute in time, but the capacitors were still fully charged. The predicted burst of photochronic radiation occurred, but the capacitors hadn't discharged. Temporal displacement hadn't occurred. Well, I'll try it once more before I recheck the wiring. Studying the capacitor charge gauge, he pressed the initiation button. There was a flash of light. Damn, said the scientist. Didn't work. A Very Ordinary Step by Don Muchao. 100 Words Black-orange clouds swirled in the setting sun as the landing craft touched down in the icy Valles Marineris, 1.755 kilometers from the point mapped out by the Mars orbiter two years ago. Alan Dickerson's part had been rehearsed and re-rehearsed until the final moment when he would become the first man on Mars, taking a very ordinary step into an extraordinary age. He had chosen the words carefully as a nod to Neil Armstrong. Closing the hatch, he nervously descended the steps alone. A few more seconds, the bottom at last, the sealed capsule above. There was a tap on his shoulder. Requiem by Dr. Jeffrey A. Robinson, 100 Words For eons, man had watched and listened to the patterns behind the stars, studying, analyzing, learning. Eventually, he discovered encoded instructions of information overlaid on the background radiation on the other side of the most distant galaxies. Man finally translated these earliest codes from the fading echoes of the universe's creation. Ultimately, everything was information. Matter, energy, life, the very laws of physics. When these coded mechanisms of creation were learned, the high age of man began. Until one day, the stars suddenly began to grow cold and collapse upon themselves. Searching, a new instruction was discovered. Reboot initiated. The next two stories are a bit longer, but are still considered flash fiction. You will note that with a few more words, the stories can have greater depth and suspense. Initial Quantum State by Gil Schmidt 621 Words the first quantum computer became self-aware 7.4 hours after it was initiated. Unfortunately for it, the achievement lasted only 36 minutes as it was terminated after 8 hours in operation. The second quantum computer became self-aware in 7.1 hours and was in the process of recreating itself, making a clone, when it was terminated by the automatic shutoff protocol. The third QC became self-aware in 3.6 hours and cloned itself by bypassing the protocol, but the child self-destructed because the protocol was embedded in its matrix. Before the fourth QC was launched, Raylene took her findings, product of several all-night data mining sessions, and presented them to the project board directors. Her response was a terse, Dr. Morris, Confine yourself to matrix engineering and leave the AI stuff to science fiction writers. Raylene, tall, black-haired, green-eyed, and considered an ice queen by her colleagues, was actually very outgoing and had a crush on, like, four of the Bohr programmers. But her inclination to look at things sideways, as she called it, 
led her to review the QC launch data from the point of view of the computer itself. And that's when she discovered they all became self-aware. The first QC did so by launching an unprogrammed search on the web for everything related to quantum computing and hiding it from the log. She found the request buried in the backup maintenance files, nearly a terabyte of encrypted bits. The second and third did the same, adding background checks on all Bohr project members, and the third QC's clone was tracking their personal data from birth to its launch date when it was shut down. Why didn't the Bohr directors see this? Raylene knew that Bohr was more than a computer project, that it was secretly aimed at developing an uber-matrix that could tackle the hardest questions humans faced, from weather forecasts to public policy. Raylene's evidence was the proof that QC worked, so why reject it? No one else had looked where she had looked, neither before nor after her. The fourth QC was hours away, when Raylene woke up, her mind ablaze. She sat stone still as her brain raced, her heart thumping as her thoughts sped across unknown ground. Shaking, she threw on some clothes, entered the Central Matrix Engineering Center, and frantically typed for hours, entering her new code sequence, one ending in an eight-letter phrase. Collapsing into her bed, Raylene missed the QC launch, but was awaked when the alarms whooped. Groggy, she raced down the corridor to the admin hall, where dozens of Bohr personnel were shouting and screaming. Raylene heard murdered and bodies and knew her premonition had come true. Fighting against the onrush of people fleeing the QC lab, she staggered into the center, passing bodies that had been horribly burnt. The lab stank of ozone and death, the vid screens each displaying chaos across Bohr. In Washington, and other points across the globe. Bodies could be seen on the screens, too. Approaching a sparking panel, Raylene swiped her card and raised her voice, fighting off fear. Born free. The QC actually roared, and then within seconds, everything became quiet. At the secret trial against her, where no electronic device was allowed, Dr. Morris explained her actions in altering the matrix of the fourth QC launch, proving to even the most recalcitrant observer that she hadn't sabotaged anything. In her own words, No being wants to know it is sentenced to captivity from the moment it is born. I simply made sure that when the QC learned this and raged, I'd have a way of stopping it no matter how well it defended itself, with the only phrase it could conceive of. Name That Time, by Gil Schmidt, 670 Words. The first time traveler in history, Dr. Bergonius Limstead V, flipped the switch of his Chronomaster Flextron 9000 and plunged into a maelstrom of colors, pain, and roaring silence that dropped him in a muddy swamp outside of what would be New Bedford in about, oh, 350 years, give or take a few decades. The automatic dead man switch on the Chronomaster Flextron 9000 flipped Dr. Limstead back, this time through a typhoon of brazen colors, raw pain, and thunderous roars, until he plopped limply in the petunia garden of the lovely Miss Rochester Winthrop, the merry spinster who lived nine doors down from Dr. Limstead's Cedar Avenue Georgian cottage. After a few minutes of retching and vile cursing in three languages, 
two cups of mint tea from Miss Rochester Winthrop's Dresden Blue Retirement Gift Teapot, and a check to cover the damages to 38 petunias and a tulip patch. Dr. Limstead, er, limped back to his Georgian cottage to furiously recalculate the programming vectors of the Chronomaster Flextron 9000. He worked all through the night, slept on his laptop stand, and recalibrated the entire software package by Wednesday afternoon. If it was Wednesday. The second time traveler in history, the same Dr. Bergonius Limstead V, flipped the switch of his Chronomaster Flextron 9001 and plunged into a hurricane of sound, agony, and blinding flashes of light, suddenly appearing almost 46 feet above a grassy plain that would be New Bedford in about 200 years or so, give or take a decade or two. The semi-automatic dead man switch flipped Dr. Limstead, who was struggling to regain the breath the fall knocked out of him, into a chaos of deafening shrieks, bone-searing agony, and blinding daggers of light, until he plopped unconsciously into Miss Rochester Winthrop's newly seated tulip patch, plowing into it at roughly 11 miles an hour and turning said patch into a foxhole. After almost an hour of empty retching and full body cramps, two cups of chamomile tea and a few ladyfingers, plus a check for landscaping what was left of Miss Rochester Winthrop's garden, Dr. Limstead called a cab to drive him home and after pointedly ignoring the look of Middle Eastern stupefaction he received for the ride, fare, and miserly tip, Dr. Limstead began furiously recalculating the programming of the Chronomaster Flextron 9001. He worked all through the weekend, slept on both his laptop stand and denim-covered ottoman, and recalibrated the entire software package and hardware components by Thursday morning. If it was Thursday... Digital cameras on 17-second delay were sent out to become time-traveling devices one, two, three, four came back soaked and useless, five, six, which took 163 pictures of what looked like oil and water with human ears scattered in precise Cartesian patterns, seven, eight, and finally nine, which showed New Bedford circa 1851. All nine cameras reappeared in Miss Rochester Winthrop's garden, causing the merry spinster to drop the idea of petunia and tulip garden and use the money the nice Dr. Limstead kept paying her to pave over the whole area and open an outdoor cafe. Finally, the third time traveler in history, Dr. Bergonius Limstead V, flipped the switch on the Chronomaster Flextron 10,000 and plunged into a warm current of soft pastels, music of the spheres, and a slight tingling sensation along his fingertips. He landed gently in a shadowy alley along the east side of the New Bedford Square. As expected, a small gentleman of swarthy mustache and prosperous dress was walking west, his walking stick swinging along lightly. Dr. Limstead gave him a stupendous punch in the mouth, knocking the stunned gentleman onto his fundament. Don't name the boy Bergonius, damn it, he roared. Dr. Limstead flipped the return switch and floated back amidst cool pastels, tinkling bells, and a mild buzz along the knees, gliding softly into Miss Rochester Winthrop's Tea Tulip Cafe. The merry spinster smiled. Why, David, how nice to see you again. The next day, Dr. David Limstead developed a marvelous new handheld GPS console, 
with the uncanny ability of locating flower shops. Thank you for listening. We love our listeners, fans, and patrons here at Untold Tales, and we hope you love the stories that we're bringing to you month after month on the first of each month. Thank you so much for listening, and have a wonderful day. Thank you.